hundreds of millions of Christians on Sunday morning will faithfully attend their church group and end up practicing idolatry without even knowing it. What is idolatry? Idolatry is anything set up by the church which is not commanded to us in the New Testament Bible. Churches do all sorts of things which are not in the Bible. And they teach their followers to do these things. It is the responsibility of every person who attends church to know what's in the New Testament Bible. And yet the Catholics often teach their followers not to even read the Bible. They say, well, we will tell you what you need to know. I've had that report more than once from Catholics. But everyone is going to be judged according to one thing, the Bible. If you went out on the golf course to play golf, you are judged by one thing, the rules of golf as set up by the Golf Association. It is your responsibility to know or to learn the rules of golf. And then we have the same responsibility. Our rules are set up by God in the New Testament Bible. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It is our responsibility to know the New Testament Bible and to go by the New Testament Bible. And when your church is doing something that's not in the New Testament Bible and you choose to stay there in that church group and go along with them in things that are not in the Bible, a very, very serious fate awaits you at the Day of Judgment or at the period of time when the Great Tribulation comes. I am totally persuaded that the Christians who follow Scripture will be removed by Jesus before the Great Tribulation. I am just as persuaded that the ones in the churches who do not follow Scripture will be left here to go through the Great Tribulation. And if you read Revelation chapter 8 through 16, you're not going to want to go through the Great Tribulation. This is something like no one's ever seen before. Types of penalties and judgments that far exceed anything that has ever come upon this earth. And these things are from God and cannot be turned by man. So let me attempt to persuade you to go by the Bible and not by your church doctrine when it is opposite to the Bible. Here are some examples of doctrines that are not in the Bible. Of course, the Catholic Church is absolutely filled with doctrines that are not in the Bible. They cross themselves. That's not in the Bible. They light candles in religious 
ways, and that is not in the Bible, in the New Testament. They burn incense, I think, at their services, and that is not in the Bible in the New Testament. They call their ministers, their priests, fathers. In the first place, a minister in the New Testament church today is not called priest. He is called apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. But they have renamed everything, and they call them priests, and they have a pope, and they have an archbishop, none of which are in the Bible, absolutely none. They call their they call their priest father. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse, uh, I'm not sure which verse exactly. It's Matthew, I mean, Matthew chapter, uh, excuse me, it's verse, it's chapter 23. Jesus says, call no man your father. Don't do it. Yet the Catholics do it. Not only do they do it, they put it in the Catholic Bible. Of course, they tell many of their people don't read the Bible, even the Catholic Bible. So it's a catch-22, and yet every Catholic will be judged. Every Protestant will be judged. We will all be judged at the judgment seat of Christ where we answer for those things which we do in the body, whether it be good or bad. I'm quoting from... 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So wake up. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that everything is right at your church. I will tell you, I have never gone to any church service in my life looking for wrongdoing. But because I know the New Testament and really the Old Testament too, when a preacher speaks wrong things, I recognize it because I have studied the Bible. And I know it's each of our responsibilities just to read the Bible. I had a friend once who said, you don't need to go out and read about strange religions like the Buddhist or any of those people, the Muslims. All you need to do is read the Bible. I believe that. And he said, if something strange comes along, you'll recognize it because you know the Bible. For example, there's a group, I think they're called Jehovah Witnesses, in the United States. And I think they're the ones that teach that the kingdom of God will be established on this present earth. There is a scripture that absolutely refutes that, two or three scriptures. The first of which is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says the dead in Christ will rise first when Jesus comes. The dead in Christ will rise first to meet him in the air. And then we who are still living at the time Jesus returns will rise to meet all of them in the air. Why? Because this present heaven and earth will be destroyed by fire after the great tribulation. That is in Second Peter chapter 3, that this earth as we know it today will be destroyed by God in fire. There can't be a kingdom of God on this present heaven and earth. The Holy Spirit once spoke these words to me in the air. I knew it was in 
Second Thessalonians, uh, I mean, First Thessalonians chapter um, 4. I looked it up, and sure enough, it talks about us meeting Jesus in the air. Well, there's not going to be a present earth. You're not going to live on this earth for all eternity. We will be changed. Our bodies will be changed in the blink of an eye. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, in the blink of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. Blink your eye. That's how fast we'll be changed. We'll be taken off this earth. We will be given new bodies, Paul says, according to the will of God, as he wants. The dead in Christ won't have the bodies they had when they were buried. Well, some don't even have bodies. They have been eaten up in seas by sharks and stuff. But that doesn't mean their soul is destroyed. It's not. For their soul rises from wherever they are. I don't know where the person goes when he dies. But that's not important. When you die, you're simply asleep. You are sleeping. It's just like when you sleep in the night. And you awaken, and all those hours have passed, and you think, what happened in all those hours? This is is what it's going to be like when we are resurrected from the dead, or even when we're living and taken off the earth by Jesus at the second coming of Jesus. We will not have these current bodies. If you read the scriptures I've just shared with you, You will see that's what the Bible teaches. When I finish recording this, uh, I'm led by the Holy Spirit in recording, so I never know where I'm going to go. It's not a matter that I have all these scriptures and follow them one by one. I don't know where the Spirit will take me. So after I finish the recording, I will listen to the recording, but I'll write every scripture down for you, and it will be in our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortation Blog. And it will be on, if you look on the right-hand side of the page under podcast, you can click on the link and it will take you to the blog where all these scriptures are written out for you. Look for the message, which is millions in churches practice idolatry each Sunday morning at church. Look for that message. Again, the blog is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. But what happens is we are removed from this earth. The great tribulation comes upon this earth, and that lasts. We don't know how long that lasts. One plague lasts for five months, and no telling how long it takes to work through the entire plagues that are coming on this earth. But at the end of all the plagues, this heaven and earth will be destroyed by fire. That is Second Peter chapter 3. So we are taken up into the air to be with Jesus and transported to the new heaven and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And God gave a vision to the apostle John where he could see that new heaven and new earth. And that is recorded for us in Revelation chapter 21. I'll write that on this on our blog for today. You'll see all these scriptures if you go to that blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortations.
These are the truths from God. Many churches teach other things, but these things are true. Now, the one thing that is universally done on Sunday mornings at many, many, many churches everywhere, they take what they are calling the Lord's Supper, which they have set up to be crackers and grape juice or crackers and wine or bread and wine or something like that and calling it the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the Word of God. It has nothing to do with crackers and grape juice. The Lord's Supper is how you eat and drink the Word of God. That is the power. There is no power in crackers and grape juice. I have an amazing story on that subject. Talk about an idol. This happened on a Sunday afternoon back in the years when I was playing bridge. My bridge partner that day was a man, and we got to this one table, and this woman caught a very dreamy look on her eyes, and she said, I took communion this morning. We both just stared at her. That's all she said about the communion, the Lord's Supper. But she was very ethereal and dreamy when she said it. As if she had done something really great. In a few moments, I was horrified to hear this same woman begin to talk about the color of the underwear she was wearing. This is a man at the bridge table, and in front of him, she is talking about the color of her underwear. That communion didn't do that woman any good at all, but that communion of crackers and grape juice has no power. It is an idol set up by fleshly men and copied by other fleshly men and put out there in the church for congregations to participate in. This is all idolatry. Has no power. Crackers and grape juice have no power. But I'll tell you where the power is. It's in the Word of God. Now, instead of drinking that grape juice and eating that cracker that morning at church, if that woman had meditated on a scripture which says, have no appearance of evil, she wouldn't have been talking about her underwear at the bridge table in front of that man. For the Word of God, when you meditate on the Word of God and you do it, there's power. That's the Lord's Supper. It's the Scriptures. It's meditating on the Scriptures, eating and drinking them, staying with that one Scripture, getting every drop of blood out of that one Scripture. Every drop of blood you can get out of it, you get out of it. Keep it before you day and night. Structure your life around that scripture. That is eating and drinking the Lord's Supper. For Jesus is the Word, and the Word is the power. If you practice idolatry in your churches, let me show you the faith that comes to you. It's very fearful. Paul said the man who practices idolatry will not inherit the kingdom of God.
That's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. We'll read all of that section of Scripture in Galatians 5. Start at verse 19. Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. Idolatry and witchcraft are very closely associated. Both of them set up something which supposedly has a power. Hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like. Now here's the part, listen to this. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are practicing idolatry at your churches by worshiping something and doing something that is not in the New Testament Bible, you're practicing idolatry. Paul says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So stop doing it. When you see it's wrong, stop doing it. Turn from it. Stop going to those churches where they are setting up idolatrous acts which are not in the New Testament Bible. There is absolutely nothing in the New Testament Bible that tells us to light a candle with prayer. There is nothing in the New Testament Bible that even says candle to light a candle in a religious ceremony. There is something the Catholics do, which is just astounding. It is called holy water. They dip their fingers in holy water as they enter the building. I've seen it in movies. I've never been to a Catholic church. They dip their hand in holy water and cross themselves. What is holy water? What, what, what in the Bible? What does it say in the Bible about holy water? Well, it's pretty astounding. I'll share with you what it says in the Bible that holy water is for. Holy water is only mentioned one time in the Bible, and that's in the Old Testament. But I think you'll be shocked at what holy water was. Holy water was used in the Old Testament for the purpose of testing a woman who was accused of adultery. Holy water was a bitter water, and the priest even swept up the floor of the temple and put the dirt from the floor of the temple in the holy water and mixed it in it. It was given to that woman to drink, and if she was innocent, nothing would happen to her. But if she were guilty of adultery, her stomach would swell and her thigh would rot. And that's what they did with holy water in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 5, verses 18 through 28 is the only reference of any kind to holy water. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take the holy water in an earthen vessel 
and the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle the priest shall take and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering, and the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causes the curse. And the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man hath lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causes the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man hath lain with thee beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse, and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot, and thy belly to swell. And this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. In other words, she's agreeing to this test. And the priest shall write these curses in a book and he shall blot them out with the bitter water. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and the dust off the floor of the tabernacle. And he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causeth the curse, and the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. But if the woman is guilty, she'll be nothing will happen to her. I mean, if she's innocent, nothing will happen to her, but if she's guilty... Her belly will swell and her thigh will rot. And that is how holy water is used in the Old Testament. And it's not even mentioned in the New Testament. The Catholic Church made this up. They just made up some kind of water that they call holy. Pam Paget, who works with me in the ministry, was raised Catholic. And as a young child, her mother would go to the priest and get this holy water, I assume purchase this holy water from the priest. And she said they kept it in their refrigerator. And every once in a while, her mother would pour out some for Pam and her two sisters to drink. Has no power, has no effect whatsoever. It's not in the Bible. These things were made up by men. It's a curse to the men and it's a curse to the people who follow them. Both will be cursed. There is a very fate, very terrible fate awaiting those people who practice idolatries in the churches, whether they be the leaders of the church or the individuals in the congregation, for we are all responsible for the New Testament Word of God, every one of us. But there's a very bad fate awaiting those who take pleasure in their churches and cast aside the word of God, the scriptures, who think, oh, 
it doesn't make any difference. That little portion of scripture, that doesn't mean anything today. We go by a different set of rules today. We do not. We go by the only rule we have, which has always been the New Testament Bible. That's all we have to go by in the church. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that Antichrist comes to the church when there is a falling away of the church and that falling away is turning away from scriptures and setting up another doctrine. That lets Antichrist into the church. That's verses 2 and 3. But now here's the faith that awaits you if you sit there in that church where they are doing something that is not in the New Testament Bible or they're teaching something wrong. And you stay there in it. Here's what awaits you. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 10 through 12. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If you choose your church group and cast aside those scriptures that your church group is casting aside, if you sit there among people who have cast aside scripture in order to be in the church group and have pleasure in the church group, you have a very serious fate ahead of you. So don't do it. Turn from the church group. I've had to leave many church groups. Why, there was a church group in Clovis, New Mexico that I tried to attend. It was a Wednesday night, and the pastor was teaching. He was teaching from John chapter 8, where they took the woman in adultery. There were about 200 people in the group that night. Pastor said, and when they brought the woman before Jesus, she was naked from the waist up. That's not in the Bible. I was shocked. I looked around at the other people and they all were smiling. Nobody reached for a Bible. Nobody. I saw no one reach for a Bible. Everybody in that church is dead. I reached for my Bible and began rereading John chapter 8. There's not one word in John 8 to substantiate what that pastor said. I looked at the faces of some of the men who I could see just lusting after this woman that was naked from the waist up, supposedly. That pastor was preaching lust in his church group. The next morning, I called him. And I said, I was in your church service last night. And when you spoke this word in John 8 about the woman being taken in adultery and being brought before Jesus naked from the waist up, I couldn't find that in the Bible. And I'm calling to ask you where that is. He said, I really can't remember exactly where it is. And I said, 
it is very important for me to know this, so please, would you look it up and tell your secretary where it is in the Bible and have her call me and tell me? He became very angry, and he said, All right, it's not in the Bible. Where do you go to church? Well, I was trying to find one to go to, but I'm not going to go to one where the preacher deliberately speaks lies to his church group, adding to the Bible or taking away from the Bible. These are serious things if you add to the Bible or take away from the Bible. Both are serious. You just can't do it. You can't give up the Bible for your church group. I uh, happened to know one of the men sitting there. I mean, I was acquainted with him. He he was an elder in that church group, and I called him. I, I He was in that service, and I said, that what that pastor taught was not right. Well, he was he didn't know it wasn't right. And I, I told him that. And later I ran into this man at another church group. And he told me, he said, I went to that pastor after you told me that wasn't right and asked him why he taught that. And he said, oh, I don't know. It just came into my mind. That is how lightly these people are taking the Bible. The elder then told me, he said, well, I've left that church group because they hired a homosexual to be choir director. But he didn't leave for the sake of that scripture. He should have left for the sake of that one scripture. One scripture is enough for you to leave on. You just can't stay there. You damn yourself if you do. That's what Paul says. Plus, you should love the scripture. Do you know Jesus loved the scripture so much he died on the cross to fulfill the scripture that was written about him? He said that to Peter. Peter took out his sword and struck the high priest's servant. On the ear, Jesus healed the servant, told Peter to put up the sword, and Jesus then said to Peter, Do you not think that I could call on my father who would send Twelve legions of angels to me. But then, if I did that, how would the scriptures be fulfilled? Therefore, we must suffer this. He went to the cross to fulfill the scriptures. I know he saved us. But he went to the cross because he loved those scriptures so much. How can you despise the scriptures and sit there, showing that you despise the scriptures? How can you do that? You you can't. I've lo- I've left so many church groups. From the time I was born again, I left a church group because I saw in the Bible one thing that they were teaching at that church group, which was opposite from what I saw in the Bible. That is Antichrist. I didn't know at the time it was Antichrist, but I knew I had to choose between the Bible and the Scripture. These people have idols all over the place, in the Catholic Church and in the Protestant Church. I went to a little Assembly of God church a few years ago, one night, and I was shocked 
when I went in the room and there was hanging on a wall a photograph of that long-haired man in robes which they used to, to as Jesus. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I went to that pastor and told him, this is like a graven image. You are presenting to your church group a graven image. This There weren't even any photographs in the time of Jesus. And you're presenting falseness even in the photograph, let alone we don't worship God through photographs. I had the most astounding thing happen in February 2020. I just almost couldn't believe this happened. We have a house for sale in Texas. I moved from Texas to Colorado, and the house in Texas is for sale. It's listed with a realtor, and it is owned by the ministry. The realtor was talking with Pam Paget, who works with me. The realtor was talking with Pam, and the realtor said there's a Catholic woman in their realty agency, a real estate seller, a Catholic woman. She went over to her house and took some type of statuette and buried it in the backyard in our flower bed so she could say some kind of prayer that the house would sell. Pam said, no, no, have that removed immediately. That's idolatry. The real estate agent, kind of a, I think a young person, she was shocked. She said, oh, I had no idea that was idolatry. And she said, oh, I will remove it immediately. And she did go and remove it. And then she told, but she told Pam, she said, I've been raised a Methodist all my life and I had no idea that was idolatry. I'll never do something like that again. Well, she probably won't. She did it in ignorance, and she'll, she'll be forgiven, of course. But when you just sit there and you know things are wrong, and you know things are not according to the Bible. By the way, when Pam told me that story the first time, I thought it was some little statuette. I see people do that all the time, like a cherub. Angels don't have wings, but they think it's an angel, and they have little concrete statues, and they often put it on their front porch. I thought the woman had done that. I thought she took a little concrete statue and put it on the front porch, but what she did is take some kind of statue and bury it in the flower bed. Like, it's that's witchcraft. That's witchcraft. Witchcraft is named as one of the things that people who practice witchcraft, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's in Galatians chapter 6, uh, 5, Galatians 5. When they set up idols, it's something you can see. You can see football players go out on the football field and cross themselves. That is a superstitious idol that they have picked up some at some church. They kneel down and cross themselves. I just want to throw up. 
I see kickers do it all the time when they're about to kick a field goal. They never seem to pay any attention to when their idol fails. When they miss the field goal, then what? They cross themselves, kick, miss the field goal. Do they give up their idol? Of course they don't give up their idol. They're just like the Philistines who set up Dagon. Dagon was the god of the Philistines, and they set him up. He was a tree trunk. <laughs> had no power. He's a tree trunk. They had carved little arms and hands for Dagon, and I guess a head. Well, yes, he had a head. Because what they did is they put Dagon in this temple of Dagon. Then they had war with Israel and captured the Ark of God. And they brought the Ark of God into the house of Dagon. The next morning they went out to the house of Dagon and Dagon was lying on the ground on his face. So they picked Dagon up. This is their God that they have to pick up. They picked Dagon up and put him on his pedestal. The next day they went out there and Dagon was lying on the ground and his head had been cut off and the palms of both hands had been cut off. Now did they say, hey, our God has no power? We're not going to serve a God that has no power. No, what they did is they said, we have to get rid of this ark of God because of what it's doing to Dagon. This is what people do today. Instead of testing their God, does it really work? Instead of testing their God, those football players just keep crossing themselves before they kick field goals, even when they miss the field goal. This is foolishness. How can rational, mature humans be so foolish? Well, I can test it another way. It's not in the New Testament. If it is not in the New Testament Bible, we shouldn't be doing it. It's that simple. In 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul talks about running the race and run it to win. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You have to run by the rules of the game. With us, the rules of the game are the New Testament Bible. Men have set up churches to suit themselves and please themselves. They've changed doctrine along the way. The Bible never changes. There is no new Bible. It's the same Bible that we've had all along in the New Testament church for 2,000 years. Yet men come along and they change the doctrine of their own churches. That should show you right there 
This is not trustworthy. If you cannot find instructions to do the thing in the New Testament Bible, then that religious thing that they're doing at your church group is an idol set up before you. There was a man that was in our group for a while, and he went to some kind of church meeting. He came home saying, oh, it was just wonderful. It was just wonderful. Finally, I woke up and said, well, what was so wonderful about it? He said, oh, at the head of the table, they had three crosses covered with flowers. This was a man. I mean, this sounds like a woman, but it was a man. Those three crosses are handmade by human beings. They're not to be worshipped. We worship the unseen, not the seen. Yet he was worshiping three crosses covered with flowers. Well, he's not with us anymore. He's been swept away a long time ago. Idolatry. Worshiping something made by human hands. Something you can see with your eye. Something you can believe in with your eye. Oh, this is horrible stuff. I hope you can wake up. Don't do idolatry. It's a very, very serious penalty if you do idolatry. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us not to even keep company with someone who calls himself a brother if he's an idolater. Don't even eat with him. Don't go to church with him. Don't go to dinner with him. Don't have anything to do with him. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's how serious idolatry is. And you think it doesn't exist today? I hope by what I'm saying to you that you will see it does exist. And oftentimes music is idolatrous. Music can be wonderful used properly. But so often music in the church is used as entertainment. That's when it becomes idolatrous. So it's a very, very perilous time and a serious time. Here are a list of things which are idolatrous. Crossing yourselves. Not in the New Testament Bible. Trusting in crossing yourself. You're doing something by crossing yourself. You're saying something. You're putting a trust in the fact that you did that. That's idolatry. Lighting candles with prayer or any other time as part of religion. There's no such thing in the Bible as lighting a candle as a part of religion. Holy water to cross yourself. That's ridiculous. Wearing of crosses or religious medallions. I see movies all the time where somebody's got a cross or a medallion around his neck and all of a sudden there's a danger and he reaches up and grabs the cross or medallion, trusting in it for his protection. I know a woman who has a thing called St. Christopher, which is a Catholic thing, and of a dead person, I think, 
a medallion, and she has it on the sun visor of her car for protection. That is idolatry. Certainly praying to anyone other than God is terrible abomination. Uh, Mary, you're praying to a dead person? She can't hear you. She's sleeping. She's dead. She's like the Apostle Paul. She's like everyone who's gone before us. It's also usurping the power of God. It's a horrible thing. Well, calling crackers and grape juice the Lord's Supper. Christmas is a big idol. Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. There's not a word about Christmas in the Bible. Easter. That was the goddess of spring, that uh, pagan goddess. And somebody in the 8th century set up Easter. It's not in the Bible. Lent is a terrible thing. It's not in the Bible. Not only is it not in the Bible, it takes the place of Jesus who sacrificed for our sins. In Lent, they're sacrificing for something, and that just usurps Jesus. Graven images, any type of statue, graven image or photograph, and of course setting up any of this in your home is idolatrous. Putting up an altar, putting a picture, putting candles. We see that in movies all the time that people do things like that. And music when it's used as entertainment. So these are parts of idolatry that you may be practicing and don't even know you're practicing it. So stop it. Turn from it. Repent. Give it up. Your idols don't have any power. And you're going to destroy yourself doing these things. This is Joan Boney speaking. Every scripture that I have spoken on this recording will be printed for you in our blog. Our blog is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. On the right-hand side where it says podcast, click on that. Go to the, re- the episode which is called um, Oh, let me check that out, the name of that title. Millions in churches practice idolatry each Sunday morning at church. That's the title of this recording. Go to that title. You will find every scripture printed for you. Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you today.